On the show today, I'm so excited to be joined by Renna Owen. She's the star of Star Wars, the TV series Siren, Once for Warriors, and a whole lot more. We chat all about her work, her experiences, and her career. It's going to be a fantastic show, so don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to the brand new episode of Benjamin May and McKay's Talk To Me. I'm your host, Benjamin, and I couldn't be more excited to have Renna Owen on the show today. So let's get straight into things. Here's my chat with Star Wars and Siren star, Renna Owen. Enjoy! Rena, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Hi everybody, I'm here in uh, cold, snowy, icy Vancouver, Canada, shooting TV series Siren. I'm happy to talk with you all. Now... Rena, what inspired you to pursue a career in the performing arts? Uh, I was born that way. Bottom line, straight up fact, I was born hi- uh, highly creative, positive, vivid imagination. I loved playing. I was first published when I was eight. I wrote a, po- a poem about the rain, and I entered this competition for children under 10, and I won it, and I won a whole five bucks. Uh, which was a lot of money for a little girl back then. And I was always in the Maori Culture Club uh, performing, you know, cultural singing and dancing. I grew up in the Bay of Islands, so we'd often uh, entertain tourists and what have you. And as a result of being in the Maori Club, um, I ended up being in all my high school musical plays and dramas. And so I knew at a very young age that... I had found my place in the world and that I had talents to act and write. Uh, however, at the end of the 70s, my career, uh, my career options as a woman were I could be a secretary, a teacher, or a nurse. The arts were not considered a serious career. And uh, also, as a, a biracial girl, as a brown girl, I had no role models. We just didn't have brown faces uh, growing up. We didn't have brown faces on our TV screens or in movies. So I went off. I got accepted for teaching and nursing, and I ended up uh, choosing to go nursing. And I'm going to tell the truth about this. I was watching a British TV series called Angels, and it was about doctors and nurses. And I remember saying to my mum as an 18-year-old, I'm like, mum, never mind, I'm not going to go teaching. I'm not going to go be a teacher. I'm going to be a nurse. And I'm going to meet me a doctor. Well, I did go nursing. I moved to Auckland, and I was hospital trained. I was one of the last classes to be hospital trained. It was an exceptional training course, and I qualified as a general and registered nurse. And uh, I didn't hook up with a doctor, but once I'd qualified, I went off to London, 21, going on to 22, and with aspirations of wanting to go to medical and become a doctor. But going to London totally changed my the course of my my my, my entire life, and uh, you know I went through a lot of experiences in London. But it led me to drama school, um, and that was really really just kind of getting back into or back on the right track. I was always supposed to be a creative. That's what I'm born to do. You know, you you can't be something you're not. And I was definitely born to be a creative. So I. I remember at the time, you know, I was in my early 20s, 24, and I remember thinking, and I could see it very clearly that I was choosing the harder path because I knew that the arts would always be unpredictable. 
and not necessarily <laughs> the arts don't offer solid job security. So I knew that when I made the decision whether to continue to pursue medicine or go get into the arts. And I thought, no, this is, I just had all that passion, passion inside of me and that, you know, hunger to, 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 um, to express myself. And so I went to enrolled in the uh, Actors Institute, which was in Islington, London. Uh, I studied there part-time while I also waited on tables to earn rent money, and um, and I worked in theatre. And that's, yeah, that's since end of 1985, so a good 33 years now. So, yeah, I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. I, I'm, I feel quite clear that I'm doing what I was born to do. Absolutely, and it's wonderful to know your calling so early on. But you mentioned drama school. I'm curious to know whether you think it's important that all actors attend some sort of formal training institution. No, no, not no, no, not all, not all, not all do. I, I personally, I, I went part time because I also needed to work to pay my bills. And, um, I, you know, I'm a big believer in craft. I mean, not you, you know, I, I couldn't just get up and say, "Hey, I'm a doctor." You know, without going to learn about how to be a doctor or, you know, I'm a chef without learning my craft. And it's the same, I believe, for, for acting. It's a craft. And the more you learn and the longer you do, the better you get. Um, I do believe that people are born with innate talents and they, they're born to be good at something. Um, but I'm, I, 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 I can always see it, too, when you work with people. You know, you, it just... You can't beat a good background. You can't. Our leading girl, Aline, was trained at one of the best best drama schools in the world, and she's ex- extraordinary. And that's what I I recommend to young people if they're really serious about being an actor, then set yourself up. You help you help yourself to succeed by getting a craft. I mean, you know, I did once for Warriors, played Beth Hecker when I was in my eighth year as a professional. And I'd done a lot of theater. As I said, I'd been to the Actors Institute. I did a lot of theater. Um, and I'd worked a bit in television. But there's no way I could have done what I did in that film without all that learning that craft that set me up to be able to do that performance. So I, I, have, I have a lot of respect, and I'm a big believer in learning craft. You know, but some people don't want to learn craft, and that's their prerogative. But I think, you know, I've always found that when I look at actors, you can always tell the ones that have craft or, you know, have come out of theatre because I think the great thing about theatre is it's just about the nuts and bolts. It's not about fame. It's about learning the nuts and bolts of what an actor does. And and it keeps you hungry and you don't get take two. You know, you have to deliver. Um, and I can always tell when I'm working with a theatre actor. Um, so, yeah, if, if someone out there is really serious about about being an actor, then even in L.A., people go to drama school or people get private coaching. And with that craft behind you, how nervous were you on your first professional job? Oh, well, my first professional film was um, Rapa Nui. It was the film that was uh, made by Kevin Costner and Kevin Reynolds. And there was a bunch of us Kiwis uh, and a bunch of crew people from Australia on working on that film. And you know, your, first, your first gig's always a bit nerve-wracking, and sometimes you take it way too serious, but that's just where you're at. But on that particular film, well, we, we got stuck on Easter Island. We were only supposed to be there for two 
two uh, two months, and we ended up being there for like six months. So that film, and we never finished that film. And then they were all waiting for us to get off Easter Island to make Once for Warriors, which we made in 34 days. So the difference between those two films was worlds apart. The the big Hollywood movie, we didn't finish it. And that was like millions and millions of dollars. And then and in five months, we didn't finish it. And I go back to New Zealand and we do Once for Warriors, which was made on one2 American million dollars and made in 34 days. So, well, you know, two, two very, very different movies. And, of course, Once We're Warriors went on to be a hugely successful film and opened the international door for me. But yeah, every first gig, you're nervous. You know, and, and, you know, I can still get nervous every now and again. But the more you do it, the better you get. That's anything in life. If you practice, practice, or you keep doing it, you just get better. It's any sport, any career, it's all about getting that craft and just learning to become a master of it, you know? Of course. And speaking of Once Were Warriors, when you were filming that, did you feel that it was going to be something special and that it would open those doors for you? Yes. Yes, I did. I, uh, well, first I read the book. I had read the book because my roommate who I was living with at the time was working in theatre in Wellington. And uh, and I'm not really a book reader. Um, so I probably had a bit too much attention deficit disorder. I could never focus long enough to read books unless I binge read them. If I read them cover to back, that's the way I could read them. But I remember my roommate saying, oh, my God, you've got to read this book. It's amazing. So I read it in a weekend. I couldn't stop reading it. It was that it was just that gripping and at the end of that book I just remember thinking my god whoever wrote this book lived that lifestyle because it was so authentic and organic and I thought if this book is ever made into a film then best heck if it is a role to die for and um, I found out a company got the rights to make the movie and I was doing a stage play at the time in New Zealand and it was a similar role so I invited the producer. I said, look, I've read this novel. I'd love the opportunity to audition for Once for Warriors, and I'm doing a stage play that's very similar, and please come along. And they did. And that's kind of where that process started. But I still had to go in and audition along with a lot of other other people, and I was thrilled to get the role. And I knew, intuitively knew, even when we were shooting that, I was kind of saying to the director, I said, you know, this is really significant, really important what we're doing. And, you know, it's got the potential to do really well but you know he just said oh well you believe these things when they happen and I had did have very strong intuition not so much about the career aspect but it was what the 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 film did to do which was it dared to deal with issues that had been in the closet for so long and it kind of you know dared to open that closet wide open without being covered up by Hollywood. So it was a very in-your-face, brutal film. and But it, it was a film that had never been made and it, that needed to be made because domestic violence, sexual abuse, um, alcohol abuse, you know, gangs, they, they, these were things that had been going on for a long time and not just amongst indigenous uh, uh, communities. I mean, I had a whole lot of white high society women come up to me and say, oh, yeah, I used to get beaten up by my, my, my husband. You know, there were issues that needed to be talked about. And that's that's what what it is. With you know, we all evolve, and 
things that weren't talked about back in the day now get talked about. So you can't count on it doing well, but I knew that the script was fantastic. We had a great cast, and I knew that the way that Lee Tamahori stylized his commercial, that uh, it could do well. But you don't take any of these things for granted. It's like I'm doing Siren now, and you can't take it for granted that it's going to do well. You just have to kind of go, you know, that's the audience prerogative. It's the audience who decide if they like it or not. You know, it's the audience that turns it. You can make a good film and you can make a good TV show, but it's ultimately the audience who decide whether they want more of it and whether they're going to, you know, spend their time watching it. Mm. So I'm pleased it did do well. It did change my life and it obviously opened the international doors for me to go and work in other countries. And, you know, I enjoy working in Australia and done quite a few jobs in Aussie and I like working in America and Siren is an American TV show but we just we shoot it here in cold Vancouver but Vancouver is beautiful but it's much better in summer but it's a beautiful city well we are going to talk about Siren in a minute but I first would love to talk about Star Wars for a second because you became part of that universe how did that role come about and what was it like working with George Lucas Oh, I loved working with George Lucas. Um, that role came about because he was a big fan of Once Were Warriors. And he told his casting director, he said, "I, you know, go and get those two leads. I'd love to look them, look at them both. For Originally, I was being considered for the role of Captain Typho, which was uh, Padme's security guard. Um, that's the role they had me in mind for. It was that's a really cool role. The, the, the her body, bodyguard that has the eye patch. Um, but then halfway through negotiations, my agent called and said, "Look, he's looked at the balance of these characters, and it's too woman heavy. He wants to make that character a male." So I was like, "Oh, that's a shame." But I was happy that it went to my friend Jay Lagaya. Um, and my agent said, "But he still really wants you in the movie." And there's a there's a, there's an alien. Would you, would you consider doing an alien? I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. So they set up a meeting for me to meet with with George, and I met with him, and and that was like, yep, you're going to do this role. And a lot of people think it was just voiceover, but it wasn't. It was everything. I was there on set with George, with Ewan, and doing all the walking and the talking. And then uh, they did a computer job on me and turned me into into Tom Wee, which is, I'm going to say, the computer way is a lot easier than prosthetics, which is what I do on Seth MacFarlane's show, The Orville. But I loved working with George. I'd do it again if I could. It's wonderful to hear. Now, let, let's talk about your new show, Siren, which you are, as you've said, in Vancouver filming at the moment. Can you tell our listeners what that show is about? Uh, basically, Siren is set in a small, fictitious coastal community called Bristol Cove, which is set in the Pan-Pacific Northwest, when you think of America, you think up there, Seattle, Washington, Tacoma, up in that area. And, yeah, it's a small coastal community and uh, kind of it's famous for its folklore about mermaids, about its fairy tales. And they had mermaid parades and mermaid days and a lot of tourist mer- mermaid stuff for tourists. Um, but that all changes when a real mermaid comes to land. And my character, Helen, I owned a local shop called Helen Helen's Antiquities. And my shop sells um, a whole lot of really amazing mermaid stuff. But unlike most of the town who kind of, you know, deal with the, the fantasy of the little mermaid and, and what have you, I'm, I'm a believer in real mermaids. And 
and I, I'm a keeper of the knowledge and I'm a storyteller and if people watch have watched si uh, Seas, uh, Siren Season 1 then they would have learnt by the end of that that I'm part mermaid which is why I'm, I have an affiliation with the real mermaid so the whole story is set around well actually it first starts off in a very relevant environmental issue which is the seabeds are being stripped of food supplies by greed and so deep sea creatures that usually feed on the seabeds are having to come closer to the surface to find food. And in doing so, one of the mermaids gets caught in the net, and that's Donna, that sister. She gets caught in the net, and that brings her sister Rin to land um, to find her sister. And the, the, the unique twist with our, our mermaids is, yeah, they're gorgeous and beautiful, but they're also top-level predators. They will literally rip heads off a shark. So you don't mess with our mermaids. Um, and they're a highly intelligent species, and those of them that want to stay on land have to learn to become more human. And there's a whole lot of fascinating characters in Bristol Cove, but that's basically the... Uh, the, the bottom story, the log line for it. It's available on Hulu. It's actually, I think, it's on the network. Do you know which channel it's on in Australia? I, I don't think it started airing here yet, unfortunately, but it's, I think it's free form in America. Yeah, but the season, season one did. Okay. And I believe that was on Foxtel, Foxtel 8. All right. Yeah, because well, my, 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 I have some family in um, Australia, so I imagine we'll probably be on the same same channel. And uh, if uh, I think there'll be a DVD release fairly soon, according to Amazon, so listeners all around the world will be able to buy it. Oh, well, that'd be good. It. Yes. That'd be good because, yeah, I was wondering about that, and people have been asking me, and I'm like, no, as far as I know, there's no DVDs yet, so that's good. Also, Amazon, is that just in Australia, or is that also... Well, um, it's got when you go to Amazon and search it, it's got a little pre-order button for a DVD, and Amazon ships globally, so it should be a uh, available to people everywhere. Oh wow, that'll be good to get get the DVD set. It certainly will. So it's a, you know it's done really, really well, and I mean well enough to the point that we've done season two, and they doubled the episode count, which is really cool. So we're if yeah, season one was only ten episodes, season two is sixteen episodes, and it's been aired eight at a time. So Tonight, or very soon, um, episode three of season two is going to be going to air, and they'll have a break after eight, and then they'll screen the second eight. So, and uh, if we continue to do well, then fingers crossed we'll get to do a season three. That would be great. Now, when you're given a character, how do you prepare for a role? Oh, it gets easier. The longer, I mean, I've been doing it for 33 years, so it's kind of second nature for me now. And it's a very intuitive process. Um, quick question is what you, you or any act that needs to ask yourself is when you read a, whether it's a stage play, TV or film, you go, who am I? And how did I get to be that way? And if you do that, then you will create a whole backstory. Or as I used to write little novels for my characters. Because a character's life does not begin at the beginning of a movie or the beginning of a play or the beginning of a TV show, it begins the day they're born. If you can get a sense of where and how they grew up, what they went through throughout their childhood and everything else that led them to the current story, it's like what this British actress said. She said, you're only as good. How, 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 well, how well you know your character, how well rooted you are in your character's world, that's how good you're going to be. 
because that's what literally you're bringing you're bringing bringing to the stage or bringing to the TV program. So know who your character is, and know and find out and discover how they got to be that way. So I did that. So like Betty Ake once for Warriors, you know, I wrote her whole backstory of where she grew up, how she grew up, when she met Jake, their first their first character. I mean, sorry, their first kiss, and when she chose to run away with him and defy her parents. Um, because that's what just gives it substance. It also gives it depth, and it gives it... You may never see the characters talking about these things, but you'll see it. You'll see it in the fact that you've got a really... a, a very whole character. Yeah, so find out who your character is, be your character, and then, you know, figure out what your role is in t- the telling of the story you're, you're going to be working on. Uh, so that's a big part of the job. Um I look at it like this to a certain degree as um, a script is the bones of a story, the actors add the flesh, and then the director fashions it and brings it to life. So it's very much a collaborative process. But, yeah, if you're going to be good at something as an actor, then you've got to do your homework. You've got to know what you're doing. That's where theatre or craft or, or courses or workshops or uh, help actors, particularly if, if they've not got much experience because... You know, I know this myself, for myself to be true, raw talent will take you so far. But it's like everything. I remember starting off with raw talent, but then I was losing my voice because I didn't know how to use my diaphragm. So I had to go off and do a, you know, do training and learn how to use my diaphragm. So, um, yeah, I'm a big believer in craft and just always having a hunger to learn and our job as actors is to portray the human condition. So the more you know yourself and the more familiar you are with the human condition and the world we live in, then the more you have to offer to your job. As you said, you've been doing this for 33 years now. So is there anything that you'd like to achieve yeah. career-wise you haven't done yet? Oh, I wouldn't mind being Lady M in the James Bond franchise. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to, yeah, I wouldn't mind, uh, you know, doing um, doing a big franchise or, you know, a comic book franchise or, yeah, I'd love to play that kind of character. You know, I heard Judy Dench was going to be retiring, so that could be a good character for me to play. Um, boy, I'd love to work with Spielberg again on something more substantial and George Lucas. Uh, but, yeah, to be in a, a tentpole. That's what they call them, a tentpole movie, like one of the big Marvel comics or DC, you know, legends. Just to be in a big tentpole movie would be awesome. Well, you have been working in the world of sci-fi, albeit sci-fi comedy, with The Orville. What can you tell us about doing that show? Uh, Well, first and foremost, I'm going to say that uh, Seth MacFarlane is a genius and an absolute joy to work with. He's, He's just extraordinary. I mean, he writes the scripts. He produces this. He, he he also plays the lead role. He, he oversees a lot of the directing, and he's also doing Family Guy still, and he's making CDs and DVDs. He's just extraordinary. He's just extraordinary, and he's so good at, at what he does. He is, you know, he's a little bit... He reminds me of Spielberg and Lucas because they were just these really talented talented guys and you know there's also very talented girls out there that just had visions and 
just had different ways of seeing the world and had all this imagination and were willing to do the work. So I just had off to Seth. I, I love him and I, I just love working with him. And I hope to get, you know to do it more and more. But you, you just never know until find out if it's going to go get another season and if my character will come back. But uh, absolute joy to work on the Orville and. You know, and it's a real privilege to to work with what I consider to be a genius. And uh, you know, Spielberg, George Lucas, and uh, Seth MacFarlane definitely, definitely on that genius kind of terrain. Just doing kind of cutting edge, unique, original like stuff you've never seen before. You know, and that's what it's about. And I think that's also what's helped. Uh, Siren be a success is because it's something we've never seen before. It's fresh. It's unique, it's original, and we've got a really, you know, strong uh, fan base. So uh, I hope this season does really well so we can come back and do, do, do season three. That would certainly be ideal. But you have also been keeping, I mean, very, very busy because you pop back to Australia to shoot a cameo in a movie on the Gold Coast. What can you tell us about that film? Yes, I did. Escape and Evasion. And um, I was really excited to, to do that project because it was an old friend of mine who was um, producing this movie. And basically that story was after uh, after his men, the main characters, after his men are killed in Burma, a lone soldier returns home in search of solace, hiding a dark secret and confronted by an unrelenting journalist, he's forced to face the ghost of his past. And he's dealing with a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder. And Storm Ashwood, who I think is a really exciting up-and-coming Australian director, directed the movie, uh, had a great cast, Faraz, Faraz Durrani, who I worked with on The Straits, uh, Bonnie, uh, Bonnie Savine, Josh um, McConville, Sonny Lee, Hugh Sheridan, um, you know, they've had a really, really interesting cast. And um, it was just great. It's made by Bronte Pictures. And um, so when my friend reached out to me and he said, hey, I'm doing this movie, can you come down? And and I read the script. And what I liked about it was that I hadn't done that kind of role before. You know, I play a military character. I play the lead lead guy's boss. So I was able to come down and work on that for a few weeks and then go across to New Zealand for a few weeks to see my family. So um, I'm not too sure when it comes out. It's currently in post-production, but that was a cool project. It certainly sounds like it, and clearly you love keeping busy. Uh, yeah, yeah, I try to. Well, you kind of, maybe I should take more downtime, but it's kind of like that in the acting world. You know, if work comes, if it's good work, if it's the kind of work you want to do, then you've, you've got to kind of roll with it. You know, you've got to go with the flow. Um, because I've been in this game long enough to know that work comes and work goes and you can go for long periods where there is no work. So if you're getting good work offered at you and you're able to do it, then do it. And what do you find yourself doing in the time where you can't get the work in those dry spells? Oh, uh, well, I'm quite a creature of habit uh, pretty much every day, except for those days when you're on set 12, 14-hour days. There's two things that are constant in my my day-to-day life, and that's uh, exercise and food. Um, I've done yoga for a long time, so, you know, I'll go out and do yoga classes, or if there's my schedule's not conducive to a yoga class, I'll go and walk around the beautiful seawall. I've got to exercise on a regular basis. That's just me. I've always been like that. Um, it's kind of like a medicine for me. I get my endorphins. Um, and food, 
you know, I cook. I cook or I make salads. So usually when I go out and I walk, I pick up my food for the day. So those are two things that never change no matter where I am in the world. I, I really am a creature of habit. Those two things, exercise and, and good food. Uh, and that's how I grew up. You know, in New Zealand, we all grew up playing a whole lot of sports. And, and so being active has always been a part of my life. And I grew up on real food. You know, we our grandmother had a dairy farm, so everything we ate came straight out of the gardens or orchards. So I'm fussy about food. And when I go out to a restaurant, for me, that's a special occasion. It's not a way of life for me. I cook my own food. I prepare my own food. And I like that because I know what exactly what I'm putting together. Uh, friends and family, that's something when I've got downtime, I've got to kind of, you know, share time with, have that kind of fellowship with friends and families. Because, um, yeah, when you're on the road, a lot of, you, get, you get pretty lonely unless you're kind of traveling with a partner. So... I make always make time for friends and family and make sure I kind of, you know, have a bit of social time, like uh, go and see a movie or go and see a band. Um, we've got the International Rugby Sevens happening here in Vancouver in March, so my brother's coming in from New Zealand to see that. Um, and then I'm probably going to go home for the month of April and have a month in uh, New Zealand, which I'm looking forward to. So... Yeah, and I see. And when I'm in LA, uh, I feel I go to a lot of screenings because in LA there's always a, a screenings and industry events. But pretty much what I do is always work oriented. You know, I, I don't really go out for the sake of going out unless it's a work event, um, especially in, in LA because there's so many things happening all the time. And you know, I, I run my business. I'm my business. So I got to kind of keep everything in order and. Uh, do things, you know, do social media, do interviews, like, you know, soon I'll watch the East Coast timing screening and, and get on a live tweet with the fans of Siren. Uh, tomorrow I go back to work. Uh, we do get our weekends off, and uh, this weekend I'm hanging out with a bunch of Kiwis because it was Waikangi Day this week, New Zealand Day on the 7th. Um, and there's, this is a good thing about Vancouver. There's a lot of Aussies and a lot of Kiwis here. You know, because they all come here, and it's great. And so, you know, I went to Aussie Day, and that was fun. And, you know, I'll go to Kiwi Day this Saturday. And, you know, I've got a new script to read, learn new lines for the next episode. So, yeah, it's kind of, even if you don't go to set, you know, like, say, today's a typical day. I work, mind you, I was on set 15 hours yesterday. It was a long day yesterday. But today, I, you know, I went up and went to a yoga class and picked up my food and came home and did a few emails, started reading the new script and did a few interviews and now I'm going to go and uh, join East Coast East Coast Screen and the Siren and, and do some Twitter. So social media has become a big part of my life. You know, it's, it's kind of part of the job now. Yeah. Well, we will let you go so you can watch that screening. But just finally, what are your social media handles? Where can our listeners find you online? Absolutely. I mostly now I mostly post on Instagram, um, and it's just Rena Owen. It's at Rena Owen, and the reason I, I post on Instagram is because you can share it to Twitter and Facebook, so it goes across all three platforms. So you'll always find me on Instagram. Um, I do have Twitter at Rena Owen, and I do have Facebook the Rena Owen, but Instagram is where is the primary thing I use to post across the three platforms. So. Um, yeah, and I believe that Siren will be on Foxtel 8 again, and it should start screening soon. I think actually, actually, I remember a fan told me on Instagram that it's, it actually started to air on Australia Day. 
Yeah, it, 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 the first episode aired the week after it aired in America, but I remember him being really disappointed because he said, oh, damn, the first episode screening on Australia Day. So it, it, I think it's already screening now in Australia. Well, I will get all of the details about the screenings globally, and I'll put those in the show notes so fans all over the world can find out where they can watch Siren. Thank you so much, and it's been great to talk with you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks so much. That was my chat with the wonderful Renna Owen, and I can confirm that Stan has Siren, and it is also airing on Fox 8, uh, the new episodes. Then Stan has it, and there is a DVD release uh, imminent through Amazon and presumably DVD stores as well, so you can check out her new work in a variety of locations. Now, if you're in Adelaide or Australia or you're going to be here in the next uh, couple of weeks or few days, it is the Adelaide Fringe Festival, the second largest arts and entertainment festival in the world. And it is one of our favourite opportunities to showcase some fantastic theatre and comedy. So if you're in town this very weekend, it's the last four shows of Great Detectives 2. The smash hit, five-star reviewed show. It's had sellout houses. It's a really fun recreation of a 1950s radio drama. And it is, of course, a sequel to Great Detectives, which toured for a number of years and played more than 60 shows nationally. Here's a quick little trailer for Great Detectives 2. After Great Detectives delighted audiences across the country for four years, Breach's podcast online and on stage are proud to debut Great Detectives 2. This brand new show features audience favourites Candy Matson and Johnny Dollar. Great Detectives 2 premieres at the Morfordville Racecourse from February 22nd. Join us for another night of mystery, intrigue and comedy. Tickets available now through Fringe Ticks. And we do also have hashtag bunny past it's hardly trivial trivia in the Adelaide Fringe Festival on March 14 and 15. But I will give you some more details about that show and the first podcast for March. So that's right. We do have two more exciting podcasts coming out in March. Got some fantastic interviews lined up for the year. It is going to be absolutely fantastic. And as always, thanks to our supporters, Mad Zombie Collectibles, Palace Nova Cinemas and ZQ Racing. All of their details are on the website and in the show notes. And don't forget you can follow me over on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook as well, as well as checking out the production company Preachers Podcast online and on stage on those same social networks. Well, I've been your host, Benjamin May McKay. As I said, back for two more podcasts next month. Until then, bye for now. <laughs>